Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. I direct your attention to the gospel reading for this evening from Matthew 12 on page 6 of your bulletin. And notice the second paragraph, the last two verses. We'll begin there. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Question. Why does God care so much about words? Why does he care so much about what we have to say? Isn't what we do more important than what we say? Well, Roman number one in your sermon outline, words matter to God because God does everything by speaking, by words, right? He made the world by speaking. He raises the dead by speaking. He makes the lame walk by saying, rise and walk. He forgives sins by speaking. There's not much he does without words. And there's nothing he does with us apart from his word. Letter A, his word is how God, well, you can answer this any number of ways, convicts us, saves us, forgives us, blesses us, comforts us, on and on it goes. His word is how he deals with you and with me. And letter B, our words reveal who we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart in the Greek, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We reveal to the world, through our words, what's going on between our two ears. And let her see, our careless words, referenced in our gospel reading, our careless words undermine the importance of all words, including God's, including God's. For example, we say things we don't really mean. We say things that are not true. We speak, we speak prematurely before we have the facts, and we make promises that we do not keep. If we're in the habit of speaking so carelessly, then of course our words become meaningless. They lose their value, and we begin to value what God says because to us, it's just more words. Letter D. If the devil can convince you to diminish the importance of words generally, he can get you to diminish the importance of God's word specifically. For example, the more dollars the government prints, the less value our dollars have, and that's not a political statement, it's a fact. In the like manner, 
The more careless words we speak, the less value we assign to words in general, to speech in general, including God's speech, God's word. Roman numeral two, our topic for tonight, threatening words. Threatening words from Jesus, and what does he mean? And this quote from St. Augustine, perhaps there is not in all Holy Scripture a more important or more difficult question, meaning what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and who is or who is not guilty of it? We'd like to know what exactly is the sin so that we can avoid it. And if you ask 10 different theologians that question, what is the sin against the Holy Spirit, you'll get at least 11 different answers. Based on the information we have, it's very difficult to define exactly what the offense is. Some say, with good reason, it is a, quote, persistent, willful refusal to repent and to accept what you know to be the truth, end quote. And they cite the Pharisees in our reading for this evening as an example, people who charge Jesus with being empowered by Satan, and yet Jesus refutes that argument in at least three ways. First, he says, it makes no sense for Satan to oppose Satan. His kingdom would immediately come crashing down. Secondly, your own sons cast out demons. They do exorcisms as well. You don't accuse them of being in league with the devil. And thirdly, in order to free anyone from Satan's bondage, as I have done, you've got to be stronger than Satan. And who's stronger than Satan except God himself? Therefore, God must be at work in me. That's his argument. And so the argument goes that these Pharisees know deep down that Jesus is sent by God, and yet still they deny it. And so the idea here is that's the sin against the Holy Spirit, a deliberate, willful refusal to admit the obvious. Now the problem with that is the text doesn't say it. We don't know what's in the Pharisees' hearts. We're not told. And Jesus does not accuse them of committing the sin against the Holy Spirit. He only warns them against committing it. Now, another theory as to what the sin is, is this. It's simply a way of speaking against the Holy Spirit in some fashion. In this case, it's saying that the work of the Spirit is demonic. Now, that is at least grounded in the text. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, according to Jesus. Now, what that might involve, other than saying the Spirit's work is demonic, we're not told. We don't know. There are other theories. One is that, okay, it's not only speaking verbally against the work of the Spirit, but it's speaking against the Spirit in such a way that others don't believe. They're prevented from believing or encouraged not to believe. 
And you could, you could rest that in this text as well. You can find it there because people are asking after they see the exorcism, is this not the son of David? They're on the cusp of faith. But the Pharisees pipe in, you know, and no, no, it's by Beelzebub that he's doing this, you see. On and on it goes. There's all kinds of ideas as to what exactly this offense consists of. But here's what we know for certain. The unforgivable sin involves speaking against the Spirit in some way, shape, or form. And we know this, it's a warning not only to the Pharisees, but to all. Letter B, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's not just the Pharisees in Jesus' presence. It's a warning for all of us. Now remember, I said earlier, we'd like to know exactly what the sin is so that we might avoid it, avoid committing it, but if you want to avoid it, you're not committing it. Then it really doesn't matter what it is because Christ's warning has already accomplished its purpose. It's already accomplished its work in your heart. So let her see. Let the words of Jesus do their work. Let them make you uncomfortable. Let them do it. I know we don't like to feel uncomfortable. I don't like it either. But sometimes it's necessary. I like what the psalmist writes in Psalm 141. Let a righteous man strike me. Now that's Jesus. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Well, not usually. And then the psalmist also writes in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Let the words, the warnings of Jesus do their work. Letter D. You cannot appreciate forgiveness until yours is threatened. And yours is threatened in the text for tonight. But it makes you appreciate your forgiveness all the more. And letter E, the threat of unforgiveness, the threat of unforgiveness, of not being forgiven, reveals how completely vulnerable all of us are before God. And we are. The threat of being unforgiven humbles us we cannot take forgiveness for granted because it can be lost. That is fear. But it's a healthy fear and it serves to remind us that there is, no pla that there is a place that we do not want to go. There is a condition of the soul that we do not ever want to find ourselves in. We don't want to go there. Roman numeral three, God's mercy in Christ is our only refuge. His mercy is our only refuge. Outside of Christ, there's only condemnation. We know that. In Christ, 
there's only forgiveness. So as we sang tonight, set a watch before my mouth, O Lord, and guard the door of my lips. That is repentance. Words matter. They matter to God. And they should matter to us. And let her be. Another whoever, whoever comes to me according to Jesus, I will never cast out. That is faith. You know, I've said before, and it bears repeating, if God is your problem, only God can be your solution. That is to say, if God's condemnation is just condemnation, is your problem, only God's mercy in Christ can be your solution. If Christ's threat of unforgiveness is your problem, only Christ's promise of mercy can be our solution. Jesus speaks a stern warning to all of us. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. But Jesus speaks a comforting word to us as well. Another whoever. Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. If you're fearful, if you're afraid, and at times all of us are, if you are disturbed and questioning whether you've committed this unforgivable sin, there's only one place to go. There's only one person to seek, and that is Christ. Jesus does not turn away anyone who comes to him in faith, believing in his ability to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.